It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Tom Bettis with you, taking your calls, 801 575 8255. You can also text us at 57500. Dave has been waiting very patiently from Bountiful. Good morning, Dave. What is your question? Hey, guys. Um, thanks for taking my call. Hey, so we uh, recently uh, bought a home. Well, several years ago and noticed that the grass had a lot of weeds and was just really uneven. So we decided to scrape the yard. Uh, we're ready now to to uh, re-sod, but notice that uh, the ground is really hard. How, con- how concerned should we be to try to turn over that soil before we um, lay sod or will it take with, with you know, I guess uh, how hard it is? I have to turn on my microphone, I guess. One of those <laughs> it things. It is a requirement. Yeah. <laughs> the, this is a cautionary tale. Several years ago, I was up in Cache Valley with J.D. Gunnell, who is now the extension agent up there, looking at a few yards. And we went and looked at one that the grass was really struggling. And the only places it was thriving is where they had trenched their sprinkler pipe for the sprinkling system. And... JD made a comment, you know, after we left, you know, how do you tell somebody that whoever installed the yard 10 years ago did such a crappy job that the lawn's going to struggle until it's pretty much ripped out, the soil retilled with organic matter and reinstalled for it to have any improvement. Now, your situation may not be quite as dire, but if you have the opportunity to till it and especially put in an in, you know a couple of inches of compost tilled in 6 inches deep I would absolutely do that because it'll benefit you for years down the road so okay. yeah it's and, very important awesome and then uh maybe just a follow up question I think uh it's down to dirt right now and you know nothing's really growing um which is which is fine besides Bermuda weeds um and i think they're just a, a, some some remnant leftovers from what what may have been there before any suggestions on how to get rid of those well the uh, we, if you had bermuda grass did you spray it out before you took it down to bare dirt i i did spray it yeah okay, and it was it, it it was it appeared dead uh okay. but it's still have some friendly guys there growing in the ground well, if you have it resprouting, I would respray it and make sure it's dead before you lay sod again or put seed in, because within just a couple of years, that Bermuda grass will be right back. It's super aggressive. You've got a pasture form of it that's even more aggressive than turf forms. And so I would take the extra time. It might be an opportunity to actually till in some compost and water it and let that Bermuda grass come up again and let the compost start to decompose and do its thing and then t- 
kill out that Bermuda grass again, and then lay your sod or do your seed. Okay. The Thanks best so much, time of guys. year to do seed is either about, well, about two or three weeks ago or in early September because we're starting to cool down, usually not last year, but we're usually starting to cool down by then. And you'll have far fewer weed seeds germinate in late summer because a lot of the seeds need a winter period to germinate in the spring. Awesome. Thank you, guys. All right, Dave. Thanks for your call this morning. Next listener, Tan's wondering what's the appropriate spacing when planting new rose bushes? It depends on the size of the roses. If you were doing hybrid teas, I would probably put them on at least on three-foot centers, maybe four if you have the room. You oftentimes see them planted a little more closely together. But I would put hybrid tea roses on three-foot centers. If you're doing a hedge, then I might go every couple of feet just so it fills in more quickly. All right. John is on the line in Camas. Good morning, John. What is your question? Yes, good Yes, good morning. Hey, uh I am in a neighborhood with quite a few aspens growing, and over the past couple of years, it looks like they've got tree rot or the aspens at the top. The tops of the very mature aspen trees are dying off, and eventually it kills the whole tree. Can I just cut that portion of dead aspen off, and will that in, uh, save the tree? And is that some sort of aspen rot? That is my question. Thanks. It very well could be. There are many, many diseases that aspens get, and you could try pruning them, and I would go a couple of feet below where you see the damage stop, because a lot of times those diseases take two or three years to really start to kill those branches. I don't know that you'll be very successful, but you certainly could give it a shot. The other thing you can do is the ones that are dying, just harvest them out and let the younger suckers take over. Roger that. Thank you. appreciate it. Yeah, you're All welcome. All right, John, thanks for your call this morning. Next listener is looking to put in an evergreen shrub on the east side of their home. The area gets sun until noon. They live on the east bench of Salt Lake. They want to know, they want it to be about four feet at the at the tallest point, and they're wondering if auto lichen English laurel would be a good one. That would be just fine. It gets about that size. And as long as they don't have deer problems, it will be wonderful. If they have deer, they may as well put up a golden corral sign in the front yard because that's what those kinds of shrubs are to the deer. All right. If if they do have deer, do you have another suggestion? Broadleaf evergreens, there's nothing that I know of that the deer won't munch on. Uh So that's if they had to do some deciduous things, then I might look at alpine currant or coral berry just because the deer don't seem to feed on, especially coralberry, as much. Okay, I'm going to hope that they don't have deer. Nathan is on the line in Pleasant Grove. Good morning, Nathan. What is your question? Good morning. We are uh, with my son this morning uh, trying to get some yard work done. Hi. And Hi. Uh, we've, got, <laughs> we've got some uh, a problem. I don't know if it's a problem. Just yesterday I was looking at my... Um, my trees, we planted them about two years ago, some fruit trees. So the nectarine and the peach tree, um, I was moving the base of the trunk, and they are very established. I planted them all at the same time, but I have two apple trees that I was, uh, it seems like the root base is still pretty loose. 
with it, and it's not establishing super well. I just wondered if you had any suggestions or if I need to do anything to make sure that they establish better. Do you know what rootstocks the apples were on? I don't. I'm not sure. Well, I, the reason I'm asking is that if you were to get apple trees on a dwarfing rootstock, so I don't know if you've ever been down into the Santa Quin area and seen the high density apples, but there are apples that need to be staked for the entire life of the tree because the rootstock never establishes enough to hold the tree up on its own. So that is a possibility that especially if those apples came from like a Home Depot bare root cell or a Costco bare root cell, it is a crapshoot on what root root stocks you're actually going to get on those trees. And you may have some dwarfing rootstock that if the trees otherwise look pretty healthy, but they're just not growing that fast, I would bet that you're going to want to stake them. So get some T posts, put them on to the side and then kind of stake the trunk, wrap some cotton cloth around the trunk. So you don't score the bark up. And then every few years, just change that out as the trunk grows wider but I'll bet you that's what's going on because if the other trees are thriving and these two are not, I'll bet you they're on dwarfing rootstock. I mean, the only other thing that would cause that is too much or too little water. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the apple trees seem like they're doing well. They have plenty of leaves. We got some blossoms this year, so we're hoping some for some fruit. Um, but you can t- very well tell. So that I'll, I'll probably stake them up and see if that... That, See uh, if it helps. Makes a difference. Have they started producing any blossoms yet? So the apple trees have at the top. Okay. I would take the fruit off this year uh, okay. just to let them get more established and put f- their focus into developing roots and better structural branches, but definitely stake them. My dad had a dwarf golden delicious apple tree growing up. And it never exceeded six feet high and wide, and it was staked. Okay. It produced great apples. It was just that it was on dwarfing rootstock, and that's the nature of those trees. Okay. That helps. Thank you so much. All right, Nathan. Thanks for your call. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Mark, Grace Marie, you're up next. Number to text us your questions, 57500. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you this morning, taking your calls, taking your text questions. We're going to go right back to our phone lines. have a number of people waiting now. Mark is on the line in Provo. Good morning, Mark. What was your question this morning? Hey, yes. Good morning. Um, Last summer, I bought two um, David Austin roses at a uh, nursery in California, brought them home and planted them and Got a few buds that, that were actually on them when I bought them at the nursery. They bloomed out. But then the rest of the year, I thought, man, I, what a waste of money. I'm going to lose these things. But surprisingly, they really revived over the winter. And now both bushes probably have close to 30 buds on them that are 
about a week out, I think, from poppings. But my wife bought a bare root David Austin online, and it delivered about a week ago. I've never planted a bare root <clears throat> rose bush before. I followed the instructions, and boy, this thing looks just pathetic. I'm really concerned. I just that it's gonna do what it's supposed to do. Um, followed the instructions, sprinkled a a fungi kind of dusting on the root before I planted it. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I had to get the root really deep, or the hole really deep to get the roots down there. So I'm wondering how much water should I be giving these? I don't want to drown it or overwater it. And I'm just looking for advice on that bare root rose. Well, give it a chance to establish. The soil has to be kept moist and cannot be allowed to dry out, but you also can't drown it. And so you're going to have to monitor the soil very closely over the next six or eight weeks until it starts to send new roots out. And the only reason that rose wouldn't thrive over time is if the roots dried out and desiccated, then they will not regenerate from that. But otherwise, I'd give it a shot because the David Austin roses have been bred to look like the old-fashioned Victorian roses and have really good, fragrant uh, smell to them. But they've been bred with disease resistance and cold hardiness for a lot of them. And so I would give it a chance, and I'm not surprised that those David Austin roses you bought out of California are doing well because that's what they're supposed to do. They look different than hybrid tea roses in general, but they're gorgeous roses, and I would give them a shot and just don't let the soil dry out. Sounds good. Yeah, I took it out of the box, and it was moist, and I I put it right in the bucket of water, as it instructed me to, for a couple hours, then planted it. But, boy, it's just a little stick, maybe three inches coming out of the ground yeah. is all it wound up after I planted. One so. thing you might do, unless you if you didn't, is just like a teaspoon of lawn fertilizer, not a weed and feed. But just any lawn fertilizer, a teaspoon, and just sprinkle a teaspoon around the base to just get light amounts of nitrogen down into the roots. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Mark. Thanks for your call this morning. Next listener wants to know what are some good flowering perennials. perennials. I'll give a couple of my favorites. Um, If you like something lower like a ground cover, the perennial verbena is really pretty and it blooms all summer. Something taller, I like the cone flowers, a bunch of different colors, and... Daylilies. How about you? I, those are all wonderful choices. I mean, if, of the daylilies, my favorite is Stella d'Oro because it blooms longer than any other uh, daylily out there and it doesn't get out of hand. But then for me, I would look at hummingbird mint if they want something we've already discussed it a bit. Then also the Coreopsis, they need to be deadheaded a bit but have a longer bloom time. The... Uh, Oh, no, what's the name of it? Oh, we talked about the Soshnaria mm-hmm. earlier. That's another one they could look at. And then for me, if it's a shaded location, they don't bloom all summer, but they bloom from mid-August to frost are the uh, Japanese anemones. And the fall-blooming anemones are wonderful. All right. There are some choices for you. Grace Marie is on the line in Provo. Good morning, Grace Marie. What was your question? Yes. About in April, or the latter part of April, I bought, um, oh, one of these flowering plants. It was in a pot. I guess it was for a hanging. I put it in a pot. I transplanted it in a pot. It was called Paracallus. 
and it was beautiful, and it is beautiful, but I, I know it's starting to, uh, the flowers are starting to go off. Tell me about paracallus. Is it just a form of a plant that blooms and then goes away? Like I say, it's in a pot. It's not in the ground. It is a, a daisy in the daisy family. Right. And they're more, they only unfortunately bloom for six weeks to two months, and then it's really okay. hard to get them to keep going. Uh-huh. And so it's one of those things that I almost would consider removing it and putting something else in the basket because you're not going to get it to bloom again. Okay. Okay. I was, I was just wondering about that. Is it, is it starting to lose the, I mean, they're starting to wilt now and go bad. I thought, oh, should I replace it? Uh, can I just ask you also, I got in at the last of you were talking about the mums that are being planted now, are being taken to grave uh, yards or gravestones now. And I know that they are forced to bloom, and I got in the last of your comment, and I didn't understand. Do you just throw them away, or can you remove the flowers and put them in the ground and I hopefully wouldn't. have them for next year? They, If they do rebloom, they'll want to get anywhere from four to six feet tall. They're really hard to manage. They may or may not bloom. Some of them uh, aren't cold hardy, and so it's a crapshoot. And that's why okay. I would just consider composting them or sending them okay. to green waste. Hey, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks so much for your call this morning. I'm going to try and squeeze Adrian in here. Adrian, good morning. What is your question this morning? Hey, good morning. Thanks for squeezing me in here. I know I got a quick question. I know it's easy. I've been online to check out the uh, powder mildew, but mostly the fire blight in Tooele County. We've had just a very abundant amount of fruit this year. Everything is we've had to thin apricots and peaches and everything. But the apples and pears, I've been looking for fire blight. I've sprayed three times with the streptomycin. And I just wonder if you've heard any more because of the weather over here. It's bright, sunny in the morning, but it doesn't get very hot. But it is rainy in the afternoon. What do you think, Don, about uh, spraying? Or should I wait until a little bit? Or what do you think? If the blossoms are off the tree, I would stop spraying. And I would just keep monitoring because once the blossoms are off, the preventative sprays don't do you much good. All right, Adrian, thanks for your call this morning. We're going to take a break for the top of the hour news. Number to call 801 575 8255. Text us 57500. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.